The Fellowship of the Ring by J.R.R. Tolkien Chapter 11 A Night in the Dark Part 2 At last they left the village behind. The escort of children and stragglers that had followed them got tired and turned back at the south gate. Passing through, they kept on along the road for some miles. It bent to the left, curving back into the eastward line as it rounded the feet of Bree Hill, and then it began to run swiftly downwards into wooded country. To their left, they could see some of the houses and hobbit holes of Staddle on the gentler southeastern slopes of the hill. Down in a deep hollow, away north of the road, there were wisps of rising smoke that showed where Cone lay. Archit was hidden in the trees beyond. After the road had run down some way and had left Bree Hill standing tall and brown behind, they came on a narrow track that led off towards the north. This is where we leave the open and take to cover, said Strider. Not a shortcut, I hope, said Pippin. Our last shortcut through the woods nearly ended in disaster. Ah, but you had not got me with you then, laughed Strider. My cuts, short or long, don't go long. He took a look up and down the road. No one was in sight. He had led the way quickly down towards the wooded valley. His plan, as far as they could understand it without knowing the country, was to go towards Archit first, but to bear right and pass it on the east, and then to steer as straight as they could over the wild lands of Weathertop Hill. In that way they would, if all went well, cut off a great loop of the road, which further on bent southwards to avoid the mid-water marshes. But of course they would have to pass through the marshes themselves, and Strider's description of them was not encouraging. However, in the meanwhile, walking was not unpleasant. Indeed, if it had not been for the disturbing events of the night before, they would have enjoyed this part of the journey better than any up to that time. The sun was shining, clear, but not too hot. The woods in the valley were still leafy and full of color, and seemed peaceful and wholesome. Strider guided them confidently among the many crossing paths, although left to themselves they would soon have been at a loss. He was taking a wandering course with many turns and doublings to put off any pursuit. Bill Fernie will have watched where we left the road, for certain, he said, though I don't think he will follow us himself. He knows the land round here well enough, but he knows he is not a match for me in a wood. It is what he may tell others that I am afraid of. I don't suppose they are far away. If they think we have made for Archit, so much the better. Whether because of Strider's skill or for some other reason, they saw no sign and heard no sound of any other living thing all that day. Neither two-footed, except birds nor four-footed, except one fox and a few squirrels. The next day they began to steer a steady course eastwards, and still all was quiet and peaceful. On the third day out from Bree they came out of the Chetwood. The land had been falling steadily ever since they turned aside from the road, and they now entered a wide, flat expanse of country, much more difficult to manage. They were far beyond the borders of the Breeland, out in the pathless wilderness, 
and drawing near to the midgewater marshes. The ground now became damp, and in places boggy, and here and there they came upon pools and wide stretches of reeds and rushes filled with the warbling of little hidden birds. They had to pick their way carefully to keep both dry-footed and on their proper course. At first they made fair progress, but as they went on, their passage became slower and more dangerous. The marshes were bewildering and treacherous, and there was no permanent trail even for rangers to find through their shifting quagmires. The flies began to torment them, and the air was full of clouds of tiny midges that crept up their sleeves and breeches and into their hair. I'd be an eaten alive, cried Pippin. Midge water. There are more midges than water. What do they live on when they can't get hobbit? asked Sam, scratching his neck. They spent a miserable day in this lonely and unpleasant country. Their camping place was damp, cold, and uncomfortable, and the biting insects would not let them sleep. There were also abominable creatures haunting the reeds and tussocks that from the sound of them were evil relatives of the cricket. There were thousands of them, and they squeaked all round, unceasingly all the night, until the hobbits were nearly frantic. The next day, the fourth, was little better, and the night almost as comfortless. Though the Nickerbreakers, as Sam called them, had been left behind, the midges still pursued them. As Frodo lay, tired but unable to close his eyes, it seemed to him that far away there came a light in the eastern sky. It flashed and faded many times. It was not the dawn, for that was still some hours off. "'What is the light?' he said to Strider, who had risen, and was standing, gazing ahead into the night. "'I do not know,' Strider answered. "'It is too distant to make out. It is like lightning that leaps up from the hilltops.' Frodo lay down again, but for a long while he could still see the white flashes, and against them the dark, tall figure of Strider, standing silent and watchful. At last, he passed into an uneasy sleep. They had not gone far on the fifth day when they left the last straggling pools and reed beds of the marshes behind them. The land before them began steadily to rise again. Away in the distance, eastward, they could now see a line of hills. The highest of them was at the right of the line, and a little separated from the others. It had a conical top, slightly flattened at the summit. That is Weathertop, said Strider. The old road, which we have left far away on our right, runs to the south of it and passes not far from its foot. We might reach it by noon tomorrow, if we go straight towards it. I suppose we had better do so. What do you mean? asked Frodo. I mean, when we do get there, it is not certain that we shall find it. It is close to the road. But surely we are hoping to find Gandalf there. Yes, but the hope is faint. If he comes this way at all, he may not pass through Bree. And so he may not know what we are doing. And anyways, unless by luck we arrive almost together, we shall miss one another. It will not be safe for him or for us to wait there long. If the riders fail to find us in the wilderness, they are likely to make for Weathertop themselves. 
It commands a wide view all round. Indeed, there are many birds and beasts in this country that could see us as we stand here from that hilltop. Not all the birds are to be trusted, and there are other spies more evil than they are. The hobbits looked anxiously at the distant hills. Sam looked up into the pale sky, fearing to see hawks or eagles hovering over them with bright, unfriendly eyes. You do make me feel uncomfortable and lonesome, Strider, he said. What do you advise us to do? asked Frodo. I think, answered Strider slowly, as if he was not quite sure. I think the best thing is to go as straight eastward from here as we can to make for the line of hills, not for Weathertop. There we can strike a path I know that runs at their feet. It will bring us up to Weathertop from the north and less openly. Then we shall see what we shall see. All that day they plodded along until the cold and early evening came down. The land became drier and more barren, but mists and vapors lay behind them on the marshes. A few melancholy birds were piping and wailing until the round red sun sank slowly into the western shadows. Then an empty silence fell. The hobbits thought of the soft light of sunset glancing through the cheerful windows of Bag End far away. At the day's end they came to a stream that wandered down the hills to lose itself in the stagnant marshland, and they went up along its banks while the light lasted. It was already night when at last they halted and made their camp under some stunted alder trees by the shores of the stream. Ahead there loomed now against the dusky sky the bleak and treeless backs of the hills. That night they set a watch, and Strider, it seemed, did not sleep at all. The moon was waxing, and in the early night hours a cold, gray light lay on the land. Next morning, they set out again soon after sunrise. There was a frost in the air, and the sky was a pale, clear blue. The hobbits felt refreshed, as if they had had a night of unbroken sleep. Already they were getting used to much walking on short commands, shorter at any rate than what in the Shire would have thought barely enough to keep them on their legs. Pippin declared that Frodo was looking twice the hobbit that he had been. Very odd said Frodo, tightening his belt, considering that there is actually a good deal less of me. I hope the thinning process will not go on indefinitely, or I shall become a wraith. Do not speak of such things, said Strider quickly, and with surprising earnestness. The hills drew nearer. They made an undulating ridge, often rising almost to a thousand feet, and here and there falling again to low clefts, or passes leading into the eastern land beyond. Along the crest of the ridge, the hobbits could see what looked to be the remains of green-grown walls and dikes, and in the clefts there still stood the ruins of old works of stone. By night they had reached the feet of the westward slopes, and there they camped. It was the night of the 5th of October, and they were six days out from Bree. In the morning they found, for the first time since they had left the Chetwood, a track plain to see. They turned right and followed it southwards. It ran cunningly, picking a line that seemed chosen so as to keep as much hidden as possible from the view, both of the hilltops above 
and of the flats to the west. It dived into dells and hugged steep banks. And where it passed over flatter and more open ground on either side of it, there were lines of large boulders and hewn stones that screened the travelers almost like a hedge. I wonder who made this path and what for, said Mary, as they walked along one of these avenues where the stones were unusually large and closely set. I am not sure that I like it. It has a, well, rather a borough-wittish look. Is there any borough in Withertop? No, there is no borough in Withertop, nor on any of these hills, answered Strider. The men of the West did not live here, though in their latter days they defended the hills for a while against the evil that came out of Angmar. This path was made to serve the forts along the walls. But long before, in the first days of the North Kingdom, they built a great watchtower on Weathertop, a Monsoon, they called it. It was burned and broken, and nothing remains of it now but a tumbled ring, like a rough crown on the old hill's head. Yet, once it was tall and there, it is told that Elendil stood there watching for the coming of Gilgalad out of the west, in the days of the last alliance. The hobbits gazed at Strider. It seemed that he was learned in old lore, as well as in the ways of the wild. Who was Gilgalad? asked Mary. But Strider did not answer, and seemed to be lost in thought. Suddenly, a low voice murmured, Gilgalad was an elven king, of him the harpers sadly sing, and last, whose realm was fair and free, between the mountains and the sea. His sword was long, his lance was keen, his shining helm afar was seen. The countless stars of heaven's field were mirrored in his silver shield, but long ago he rode away, and where he dwelleth none can say, for into darkness fell his star, in Mordor where the shadows are. The others turned in amazement, for the voice was Sam's. Don't stop. That's all I know, stammered Sam, blushing. I learned it from Mr. Bilbo when I was a lad. He used to tell me the tales like that, knowing how I was always one for hearing about elves. It was Mr. Bilbo who taught me my letters. He was mighty book-learned as dear old Mr. Bilbo, and he wrote poetry. He wrote what I have just said. He did not make it up, said Strider. It is part of the lay that is called the Fall of Gilgalad, which is an ancient tongue. Bilbo must have translated it. I never knew that. There is a lot more, said Sam, all about Mordor. I didn't learn that part. It gave me the shivers. I never thought I should be going that way myself. Going to Mordor, cried Pippin. Hope we won't come to that. Do not speak that name so loudly, said Strider. It was already midday when they drew near the southern end of the path and saw before them, in the pale, clear light of the October sun, a grey-green bank leading up like a bridge onto the northward slope of the hill. They decided to make for the top at once, while the daylight was broad. Concealment was no longer possible, and they could only hope that no enemy or spy was observing them. Nothing was to be seen moving on the hill, 
Gandalf was anywhere about, there was no sign of him. On the western flank of Weathertop, they found a sheltered hollow, at the bottom of which there was a bowl-shaped dell with grassy sides. There they left Sam and Pippin with the pony and their packs and luggage. The other three went on. After half an hour's plodding and climb, Strider reached the crown of the hill. Frodo and Mary followed, tired and breathless. The last slope had been steep and rocky. On the top they found, as Strider had said, a wide ring of ancient stonework, now crumbling over or covered with age-long grass. But in the center, a cairn of broken stones had been piled. They were blackened as if with fire. About them, the turf was burned to the roots, and all within the ring, the grass was scorched and shriveled, as if flames had swept the hilltop. But there was no sign of any living thing. Standing upon the rim of the ruined circle, they saw all round below them a wide prospect. For the most part of the lands, empty and featureless, except for patches of woodland away to the south, beyond which they caught here and there the glint of distant water. Beneath them, on this southern side, they ran like a ribbon the old road, coming out of the west and winding up and down, until it faded behind a ridge of dark land to the east. Nothing was moving on it. Following its line eastward with their eyes, they saw the mountains. The nearer foothills were brown and somber. Behind them stood taller shapes of gray, and behind those again were high white peaks, glimmering among the clouds. Ah, oh, here we are, said Mary. I'm very cheerless and uninviting it looks. There is no water and no shelter, and no sign of Gandalf. But I don't blame him for not waiting, if he ever came here. I wonder, said Strider, looking round thoughtfully. Even if he was a day or two behind us at Bree, he could have arrived here first. He can ride very swiftly when need presses. Suddenly, he stooped and looked at the stone on the top of the cairn. It was flatter than the others and whiter, as if it had escaped the fire. He picked it up and examined it, turning it in his fingers. This has been handled recently, he said. What do you think of these marks? On the flat underside, Frodo saw some scratches. There seems to be a stroke, a dot, and three more strokes, he said. The strokes on the left make a groove and thin branches. The stroke on the left might be a G rune with thin branches, said Strider. It might be a sign left by Gandalf, though one cannot be sure. The scratches are fine and they certainly look fresh, but the marks might mean something quite different and have nothing to do with us. Rangers use rune, and they come here sometimes. What could they mean if Gandalf made them? asked Mary. I should say, answered Strider, that they stood for G3 and were a sign that Gandalf was here on October the 3rd. That is, Three days ago now. It would also show that he was in a hurry and danger was at hand, so that he had no time or did not dare to write anything longer or plainer. If that is so, we must be wary. I wish we could feel sure that he made the marks, whatever they may mean, said Frodo. 
It would be a great comfort to know that he was on the way, in front of us or behind us. Perhaps, said Strider. For myself, I believe that he was here and was in danger. There have been scorching flames here, and now the light that we saw three nights ago in the eastern sky comes back to my mind. I guess that he was attacked on this hilltop, but with what result I cannot tell. He was here no longer, and we must now look after ourselves and make our own way to Rivendell as best we can. How far is Rivendell? asked Mary, gazing round wearily. The world looked wild and wide from Weathertop. I don't know if the road has ever been measured in miles, beyond the Forsaken Inn. A day's journey east of Bree, answered Strider. Some say it is so far, and some say otherwise. It is a strange road, and folk are glad to reach their journey's end, whether the time is long or short. But I know how long it would take me on my own feet, with fair weather and no ill fortune. Twelve days from here to the ford of Bruin, where the road crosses the loud water that runs out of Rivendell. We have at least a fortnight's journey before us, for I do not think we shall be able to use the road. A fortnight, said Frodo. A lot may happen in that time. It may, said Strider. They stood for a while, silent on the hilltop, near its southward edge. In that lonely place, Frodo, for the first time, fully realized his homelessness and danger. He wished bitterly that his fortune had left him in the quiet and beloved Shire. He stared down at the hateful road, leading back westward to his home. Suddenly, he was aware that two black specks were moving slowly along it, going westward, and looking again, he saw that three others were creeping eastward to meet them. He gave a cry and clutched Strider's arm. Look, he said, pointing downwards. At once, Strider flung himself on the ground behind the ruined circle, pulling Frodo down beside him. Mary threw himself alongside. What is it? he whispered. I do not know, but I fear the worst, answered Strider. Slowly, they crawled up to the edge of the ring again and peered through a cleft between two jagged stones. The light was no longer bright for the clear morning had faded, and clouds creeping out of the east had now overtaken the sun as it began to go down. They could all see the black specks. Neither Frodo nor Mary could make out their shapes for certain. Yet, something told them that there, far below, were black riders assembling on the road beyond the foot of the hill. Yes, said Strider, whose keener sight left him in no doubt. The enemy is here. Hastily, they crept away and slipped down the north side of the hill to find their companions. 